Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Trey Parker. And this is Matt Stone. And you're listening to the Pantheon Network. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music is Not a Genre, the interview edition. This is interview number 35, actually, and I've got a very exciting guest up. Uh, It's exciting for me anyway, and I have a feeling it'll be exciting for you. Thank you for watching and listening. As always, every episode here, if you're just listening, there is a video version of it at youtube.com slash at music is not a genre. Every single episode is represented uh, with a video there, except for the bonus M extra videos, which are only at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. Let's just get to the guest. Today, I have with me Jed Becker. Jed is a songwriter, composer, teacher, now accepting students in Brooklyn. We'll talk about that again. He is a songwriter and the founder of the band Joy Buzzer, whose new album is coming out on Wicked Cool Records a little bit later this year. He also composed music for Door the Explorer and Go Diego Go. Two very popular shows in my household when my kids were smaller. Jed, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks. Nice to be here. Nice to have you here. So I like to start this way whenever it is appropriate for any of my guests, which is how do we know each other? We know each other because we have a mutual friend, Anthony Rella, who has a very busy uh, club date gig going. And you're, from what I understand, a regular with him. And so he lives in my building. And since I've known him, I've said, listen, I'm a keyboardist. I don't know if you ever need a keyboardist. I can't really sing very well. But if you ever need a guy, I've got huge ears. Uh, You can call tunes. I'll be right there. And so for four years, that call didn't come. And then one day the call came and he said, I need someone to play lead guitar. And I said, you've got to be kidding. I said, you finally call me. And like, (laughs) I can play bass. I can play rhythm guitar. I can play keyboards. But you're asking me to be lead guitar. He was like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And so I did the best I could. And I met you on that gig. And we had a long car ride. I think it was two, two and a half hours in each direction. It was at least two hours down to a suburb of Philly that was west of Philly. And uh, we talked and we discovered we had a lot of musical interests in common. And that's how our friendship struck up. That was a great gig. And I know you had some trepidation about being lead guitarist, but you pulled it off. And I think the crowd loved it. It was an awesome backyard party with some great barbecue. So I recommend Philly anytime because I'm from there. So, you know, (laughs) but it it was great to go down there. And yeah, the car ride was great. We did find that we had, among other things, power pop in common as an interest, which brings me to my next question. It's an easier question for me to ask than it is for you to answer. Okay. That is since no one, you know, maybe a few people. People who are your friends who are watching now might know some of this, but I would say most of my audience doesn't know who you are. Why don't you tell everyone, however you interpret this, tell everyone your story? Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is where people will start tuning out. Okay. <laughs> okay my story in terms of uh, my relationship with music, I mean, that's a lot more interesting than the two divorces. 
It depends who you ask. But yeah, we'll go with the first one for now. Grew up on Long Island, started playing piano by ear at a very early age. Being preternaturally lazy, I was drawn to the thing that came most easily to me, and that was music. Started just playing popular songs on the piano by ear at a very young age, and it just came to me very easily. And I was a piano player, so of course, as I reached my teenage years, I was in bands. And then again, trying to do what came most easily to me. At the end of high school, I applied to Berkeley School of Music, as many people could get into Berkeley. First year, they'll take your money very happily. I actually graduated from Berkeley. After Berkeley, I moved back to Long Island. I played in some bands. Then I decided I wanted to get work at music studios in New York City. I was living in Queens at the time, and I found myself working in post-production facilities. I didn't find work like at places that mixed music. So I wasn't like some grunt like doing the overnight shift at Electric Lady or some other place. I found myself in post-production facilities mostly audio post-production, doing radio commercials, TV commercials like that. And so that was my entry to that world. And so that's how I made a living for a good long time, working as an audio engineer back in the pre-digital days. So there, that'll date me pretty well. Cutting tape with razor blades and all that stuff. Love it. Love it. Eventually, blah, 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 wound up editing a show called Dora the Explorer. And after about a year, I kept nudging the executive producer. Hey, you know, I I can write music. And they gave me a shot and I wrote a song and then I wrote two songs. Then I wrote a hundred songs. And then the guy that was doing the underscoring for the show left the show. And I was very familiar with the underscoring because I had listened to over a hundred episodes of his underscoring, very talented guy. And they held an audition. I think they asked three people to give samples of underscoring and I won the job. So then I went on to underscore 60 episodes of that show. And then they spun off another show called Go Diego Go. And so then I wrote dozens of songs for that show and I underscored dozens of episodes of that show. Also got into music direction. So I was in the booth with the talent all the time directing. That was my job. Every song that was in the show, whether I wrote it or someone else wrote it, I was in the booth directing the talent, mostly children, but sometimes adults, sometimes celebrities. I think that about catches me up. Yes, that's my musical journey. And uh, in terms of bands, I didn't play in live bands for a good long time, maybe 20 years while I was trying to have a career and I had a child and I had marriages. Eventually, I met a guy who wound up being my partner. His name is Oscar Buck. I met him on a gig with a friend of mine. My friend John Isley is the saxophonist in Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. He was playing a show. Uh, we've got a caller. Uh, let's take that call. <laughs> Sorry about that. Go ahead. Yeah. My friend John Isley plays saxophone with Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, and he was doing a show uptown, and I noticed the guitar player, and he and I, like you and I, struck up a conversation. He was, at the time, doing underscores for Frontline, and I think 2020, and uh, he also liked the same kind of music, and incredibly talented guitar player, wizard guitar player. And so he and I would go out and get drunk together and we expressed a, a common love for garage rock music and one hit wonder garage rock type stuff like the Standells, Dirty Water and the Sonics and bands like that. And I said, you know, we should put together something like that. And he said, yes. And I was like, well, if you're serious, I'm serious because he's so incredibly talented. I was like, just to be on stage with this guy would be amazing. And so we started a band called the Lord Calverts that we had together for about 10 years. And we got very successful, did not get signed, but became very popular local band here in New York City, got to play at MCU Park on the stage at the ballpark out in Brooklyn, got to play in front of 
5,000 people or so up in Stanford at their, it's, I think it's called the Alive at Five Festival. I don't know why it's called that, but like they just shut down the entire downtown in Stanford and they put up a stage and we played there. We played Maple Woodstock. So anyway, we got to be very successful without being signed. That band ended when COVID hit. And then over COVID, as we all did, we all had a lot of time on our hands. And so I just started writing songs. The thing about the Lord Calverts was it was a garage rock band. And so I was writing and I was limiting what I was writing to writing three chord garage rock. And I loved it. When COVID hit, I just started writing songs without having any purpose for it. I just started writing songs. I think a lot of musicians can relate to exactly what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. without having any goal or purpose for them. And so I just spit out like 20 songs that had come from a place that I had never written from before. Because I always, either I was writing for a TV show or I was writing for a band or I was writing for a project, but this was just writing from the heart. And a good deal of it wound up being power pop because it's a genre I really loved. And then when COVID started going away, I had some friends that I asked them if they were interested in playing that out with me once people were playing out again. And that's how Joy Buzzer was born. And I think that you're going to be playing bass and singing in Joy Buzzer. And I am thrilled about that because let me say what a talented guy this guy is. Is. Oh, such a talented you. musician. It's such a wonderful singer. By the way, the album that Nick mentioned by Joy Buzzer called Pleased to Meet You that will be coming out on Wicked Cool Records this year. I've got Nick singing backing vocals, I believe, on eight tracks of that record. So thank you for that, Nick. You sound fantastic. And when Joy Buzzer starts gigging in the spring of 24, please come out and see us and see Nick playing with us as well at that time. Excellent plug. Yes, it was an honor to sing on your tracks and to rehearse with you guys and kind of get this process started. And yeah, for everybody out there, Joy Buzzer's music is great. I mean, and it's, you know, the like Jed said, it's the heart of Jed. <laughs> and it is very, you know, I've done a lot of talking on this show about power pop, so... I don't necessarily need to go into it again. There have been episodes on it and all of that and certain bands that I considered power pop full episodes on them. But if you can just think of kind of driving pop music in a rock based setting, and I love the chord progressions that you come up with, the melodies, the lyrics, especially are a thrill. And obviously, you know, considering my part in the band, the harmonies are pretty great. Thank you so much. I was just going to jump in and say power pop to me is big guitars and huge hooks. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because that feeds right into the idea of power and of pop. I always describe Wreck as electro power pop because there's a heavy electronic element in there and it does go, you know, other places. But I think that's kind of where we linked up was that we played some of each other's music on that long car ride and found that, oh, yeah, you know, we're like you said, we're 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 not doing the same thing, but we're in the same ballpark, you know? Yeah, we're exploring different branches of the same route. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's that's exactly it. Yes. And I'm I'm excited. And you said the album's called Pleased to Meet Me or Pleased to Meet You? Pleased to Meet You. It is a play on the Replacements Pleased to Meet Me album. And the cover is a homage to the cover of the Replacements Pleased to Meet Me. But the album's called Pleased to Meet You, which I think is a good name for debut album by a band, Pleased to Meet You. It is. Yeah. I can't wait to see the artwork and everything. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, because I didn't know, Wicked Cool is the label of Stephen Van Zandt. Right. And if anyone here is a fan of Little Stephen or is familiar with Little Stephen's Underground Garage, it 
does have some terrestrial radio stations that air that show, as well as on Sirius XM, there's a station, Little Stevens Underground Garage. And every week, he chooses a coolest song in the world this week. And we put out a single last year, Joy Buzzer, which you can hear on Spotify or on YouTube or Apple Music. It's called Judy, Judy, Judy. And that song was coolest song in the world for a week in uh, 23 on Little Stevens Underground Garage, which I was really thrilled about. It was something I had really tried to accomplish with the Lord Calverts because being a garage rock band, it was right in the genre of what they do on that station. But they do obviously enjoy power pop on the underground garage. And so we got to be coolest song in the world of the week. And that was really thrilling. That's very thrilling. That's very thrilling. And it's thrilling to be uh, for me to be a part of it in any way. And I know you had mentioned at rehearsal that you don't have an exact release date for the album yet, but that it should be in the spring. Is that right? Hoping that the single will be in the spring. We have a single coming out called You'd Be Surprised. And following shortly after that, I don't know the release date. This is what happens when you start dealing with record labels. Yeah, the the machine gets rolling. Yeah. Yeah, follow its timeline that's true hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycons Or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good. Well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So you mentioned that the pandemic and like many musicians, we all had a lot of time and many of us kind of indulged that by doing new music in one way or another. And I know that I I had released a bunch of EPs in an album in the year 2020, the five of them actually. And the purpose of those was to go places that my music or Rex music normally wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. Some of it was back catalog, like this just never fit on an album, but I really want to put it out, you know? And I like how you said that just in terms of your songwriting, even it, you went places you hadn't gone before and that it was really from the heart. Can you elaborate more on that? There are many songs that I wrote. I mean, to come out and say, I think it's a really great song sounds not humble, but I wrote a number of songs that I think I'm very proud of. I can say that without coming off like a jerk. 
songs I'm very proud of and that I think uh, have very strong songs, terrific lyrics, in my opinion, etc., that don't fit into Joy Buzzer because they're not power pop. They're not even power pop adjacent, you know? They're just songs that just came out of me, and some of them are too ballady. Some of them feel... I wrote one, a song called Row, that feels kind of like a sea shanty, you know? Yeah, it's in three and it just feels like a pirate song. I think it's a really good song, but I don't know how a lot of those... I wrote a love song to, to my fiance Vicky, that is a really schmaltzy love song that's just not right for joy buzzer but i think it's a pretty terrific song so i don't know if i'll ever find a way to use any of that material anytime i find an artist that i think might use one i say listen you know i got a song i try to try to see if i can get it out there yeah that's always a great idea especially from the standpoint of a songwriter i know you know you say you don't sing and you do i've heard your voice and you sing you know and as a singer songwriter a lot of my purpose has always been this is me you know put it out front But there's always that window of if somebody else wants this song, go for it. You know, I'm I'm always open for that. Yeah. So I can see why you, you know, say something that might not be an exact fit for Joy Buzzer and you're not sure if there is a project that you'll do, then, hey, somebody else out there might be the right fit for that. Yeah, that's right. And not being a singer, I can't just say, oh, well, so I'll just create a project and I'll call it, you know, the ballad project and I'll just sing them and I'll put it out there. I'd have to find someone to sing them for me. Yeah, I do a lot of music that's not quite rec under the name The Drop, which was also the name of my production team for a while when I'd work with other artists. And that gave me that kind of outlet to say, well, this is this doesn't fit, but I can put it over here. And that kind of works out. But it is there is a more of a facility, I think, when you can sing and produce the songs you write your, yourself. You can just kind of do it. Yeah. Tremendous disappointment in my life is that I, I don't have a voice that I can step up to a mic and sing my own songs. I can't. But I've got other talents and I've met other talented people who are happy to sing my songs and play my songs. And I'm very fortunate for that. Yeah. And you're a great band leader because you are very clear in what you want and the roles everyone in the band plays and you give space and time for the people to know the songs. I mean, I know myself coming in, doing a handful of your songs and some covers, feeling a little, you know, unsure about where I was with all of them. But by the time we were done, the two hour rehearsal, things were at least starting to gel. And having worked as both a band leader and in a bunch of other people's bands, you're always thrilled when you realize that the person you're working with and for is a good person who's a good leader and not just a good musician or songwriter. That's nice of you to say. It's always a thrill. Now, this is going to be mutual masturbation now, but it's always a thrill to get someone in the room who's a real musician. And you're like, oh, this guy's a real musician. Thank God I've got a real musician as opposed to like, well, we're going to move this to A. And it's like, well, you got to You got to tell me the chords. Dude, it was in G. It's an A now. I know. So (laughs) chords are A, D, you got to tell me. And you're just like, okay. So, I mean, we've all worked with people like that. And some of them are wonderful people. Yeah. But it is nice to have another, other, not one other, but one of a group of real musicians in the room to work with. That's always good. That is always great. That is always, And my hope is that if I can, you know, start getting some stuff together, that you'll be a part of Rec this year at some point. That would be fun. I can't wait. I love your material. 
Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited. So a couple of other things from what you mentioned. Uh, one is I found it interesting that you, I didn't know because my, my son is in, in a music school and he's classically oriented. So that's Cleveland Institute of Music. And I believe he did apply to Berkeley and it just wasn't the right fit and, and all of that. But it sounds like Berkeley is actually more similar to, I originally went to college for acting at a place called uh, Mason Gross over at Rutgers. And it was the same thing. That first actually year and a half was a trial period. Right. And if you didn't make the cut, you were all done. And I ended up leaving that program anyway and switching to music. But so you had a lot of people in your freshman year who weren't there sophomore year? Well, Berkeley, again, this was years ago. I don't know if this is still their reputation, but Berkeley is famous for a place that does not graduate people. And there were two reasons for that. As I was saying, a lot of people are like the best at their school or the best in their community at guitar or trumpet or this. And then they would get to Berkeley and they would be like, ah, yes, indeed. I'm just going to go home and get into my father's business or, you know, learn a trade or do something like that or go to a different school. And another reason why there aren't graduates is that the really talented people got jobs and left Berkeley before they got to graduate. They would get picked up by some famous artist to go on a tour or they would find other work. And so they didn't need to graduate. They were like tapped to do a tour and they were like, I'm out of here, you know. So that's why, you know, being a Berkeley graduate like myself, is kind of like a dubious distinction. A dubious <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talented enough to make it to the end, but not talented enough to find yourself on tour backing up, you know, some famous artist as a keyboardist or a guitarist. That is so interesting. I never thought of it that way because my son tells me all the time that a lot of the both undergrad and grad at his school will end up taking a leave of absence because they get hired by an orchestra, you know, somewhere or whatever else it is. If they're vocalists, you know, they're playing for the I don't know. Cincinnati Opera or whatever, wherever, something like that, and then may or may not return. They either just keep getting work and that's the end of that, or they come back when that runs its course. Yeah. And I never thought of it as, oh, well, if you get to the point where you've graduated, then you're kind of looked on differently than if you were plucked out of there before you graduate. Right. Again, things might have changed. It's been years since I've been there. Again, I was cutting magnetic tape with razor blades. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's how long ago I got out of there. Now, you really enjoyed the uh, editing process, right? Sure, sure. I still, I mean, uh, when I started on, well, I mean, again, for years to make a living before I got hooked up with the Dora show, I was a guy that was an audio engineer. I was a guy setting up mics and recording voices and editing voices. This, of course, was digital editing, Pro Tools at that time. Doing tons of radio commercials, TV spots. That's what I did. I worked at a few different studios in town and I was I was an audio engineer. That's how I made my living. And that's how I was introduced to the door production as an audio engineer. And I did that for years. In fact, I did it for years. I wound up doing sound effects editing for the door show, which was a pisser. Talk about a great job a job I loved, sound effects editing for a cartoon. Because of course, when you start a cartoon, there's no sound, right? There's no microphone picking up the background noise when they're in the jungle. Everything has to be added. Every background noise, every swoop, every footstep, every crash, every this. That was a job I loved doing. And I did that for, I don't know, 100 episodes of the show. I did tons of that stuff. That's a great job. I loved that job. In fact, in a way, I found that job even easier in some ways in writing songs because writing songs is like a real blank page. 
Like it's a real blank page. It's like, okay, so write a song about having to save the baby tiger in the jungle. And like, okay, so the, what style should it be in? How should I, you know? And of course, I always came up with something and they were happy with just about everything I wrote. But to sit down to do sound effects editing, it's not a blank page. The task is right in front of you. Let's start by putting the jungle noises in. Oh, let me find some cool birds to put in here. I'll kind of put that in there. Okay. And then I need a swoosh when they push that tree back. And the satisfaction of getting the right sound cut in when you sit back and you watch it all. I, I loved it. I loved it. I would do as much of that as I could. I would still do that if I could. Yeah. I love how you describe it. And I'm, I'm a big fan of editing myself. And I, I mean, I, I've never done that, but I kind of co-founded an independent film company a few years back. And one of my six roles or whatever was doing the sound editing. And some of it was just getting the sound up to, up to snuff, but some of it was, oh yeah, well you need to add a door creak in there or footsteps or something like that. And it is like, you've got the map laid out and you're just kind of filling in the details, you know, panning left and right and all that. It's oh, so fun. That's fun. Or like just inventing the sound of Tico's little airplane and panning it around. Oh. I mean, it was all, it was a blast. I, I love that part of the job. That was terrific. And of course, just putting up the mics, recording the voices, and then you'd have to edit the voices. Yeah. Because the little kids, sometimes you'd have to, in order to create a sentence, you'd have to use three pieces from three different takes in order to come up with them going, let's go up to the big mountain to see the bear so we can get the baby back to its mommy. I mean, that might be three different takes. Right. You know, <laughs> 31A, 32C, and 34B, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. If you're doing your job well, it's seamless. You know, no one would know. Yeah. Of course. I do a lot of voiceover work, and my favorite voiceover work is always for animation because you are kind of, I mean, they have the world laid out and you're plugging in, but they're modeling something of what my voice is doing. You know, they're modeling a character and sometimes even capturing your facial expressions, you know, to put into that character. Mm. And just the freedom to be able to try on different voices and things like that. And then to look at the finished product and be like, you know, it's like songwriting, but you're coming at it from a different point, which is none of that existed before these people put it together. Right. To be a part of it in any way, you know, and to know, I know, I remember Tico's playing, you know. <laughs> might have, that might have been me going and then speeding it up or very speeding it. Or doing <laughs> yeah, I, a lot, a lot of stuff was voices. A lot of stuff would just like maybe sometimes, because it's not like I had, I was in a 10 by 10 windowless room doing it. I didn't have a Foley floor. Look that up people out there. If you don't know what that uh, is, yeah. you know, I, I didn't have like a, a room full of, you know, balloons and other, you know, tech. it's like I was just making it up as I went along. So, of course, I had sound effects libraries, but a lot of the time you couldn't do that. So sometimes I was just like pulling a microphone down and scrunching up paper in order to get this sound or, you know, whatever I had at hand. But I certainly didn't have a budget to or like it was done in a room on the floor where they were writing and creating the show. It wasn't done in a recording studio. It was certainly not in a big fancy recording studio with a 96 channel board in a Foley room with like shakers and bones and gongs. And I mean, you know, you know what they do or people out there can imagine how they create sound effects for big budget TV shows or real budget TV shows, but there was no budget for the sound effects on Dora. And so the creation. So yeah, a lot of times it was just like, well, what if I just go, you know, and then speed that up or slow that down, you know, all kinds of stuff. 
anything I could grab, slam two Coke bottles together or whatever. Again, I loved it. I really found it fun and creative. I imagine that added to the charm, too, that some of those are just homegrown sounds like that. I hope so. Yeah. And and it reminds me of kind of, uh, you know, anytime you see a show that's depicting old time radio dramas where somebody just has something that's representing, you know, like two coconuts for horse, you know, whatever, you know, right, like that. That's great. And I love that. This is the 2000s you're talking about. And we're still doing stuff like that. I mean, that's sure. Sure. I mean, they still use Foley floors for people that don't know out there. When you hear footsteps on a TV or show or a movie, there is no microphone down at their feet, you know, and so that has to be added in post. And so there were recording studios where they have what they call Foley floors. I guess it was a different guy named Foley 100 years ago. And so there'll be like rocks and there'll be gravel and there'll be sand and there'll be asphalt and there'll be all these different things. And the guy will just watch the movie and they'll have shoes and they'll have boots and they'll have sneakers and they'll have, you know, whatever, bare feet, whatever. And they'll just like, he'll run the thing and he'll just stand there and walk or run to picture and run it back, do it again until they get it right. And they still do it that way. They still do it that way. I love that. And this is why, you know, it's maybe not the most interesting Academy Award, but any I'm always curious who wins for sound editing because I know what goes into it and it's just amazing. Right. But if you look at any movie that wins an Academy Award for sound editing and you stick around and look at the credits, nowadays there are 100 people editing the sound. <laughs> I am not exaggerating. The team literally might be 60 people. Incredible. Yeah, it is. It's crazy the amount of people. And that's just the editing. I mean, a sound team on like a big budget, like Pixar movie or or a Mission Impossible movie, the sound team can be a hundred people easily to create the soundtrack that you're listening to, you know? It's really something. We've come to the midpoint of this interview. We're going to take a little <laughs> break and uh, yeah. Oh, you know, wipe some sweat off the brow. This has been great so far. As everyone out there knows who uh, listens or uh, to or watches this show, a few months ago, I implemented a, a, a new mid-roll. So we're going to take a little break and play that mid-roll as usual. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Hey, so I was going to do the usual and just list all of the links that I'd love for you to check out, but I realized that everything you need to know and everywhere you need to go is at nickdematio.com. That really is the hub. I list all the links in every episode just in case, but nickdematio.com is where I put everything that I do. If you want to know more about this podcast, whether it's the audio version or the YouTube version at youtube.com slash app music is not a genre or wherever else the podcast shows up, or if you want to support the podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre just go to nickdematio.com it's all there if you want to check out my full discography of original music and covers for my band rec rec and beyond it's at nickdematio.com including all the streaming and social links for wherever you listen to music and wherever you check out your soch uh, my acting clips are there my voiceover clips are there graphic design my blog and most especially it's the best place to contact me if you go to nickdematio.com slash contact or just hit the contact is on every single page you can send me a note say hello ask me any questions you'd like you get a newsletter a few times a month and if you have a project of your own and need work done for it whether it's audio editing or music or voiceover or graphic design or if you have an event and you need live music go to nickdematio.com contact me say hello let me know what you need i'd love to hear from you Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. 
Crossfade, and we are back. I promised everybody I'd say Crossfade after the mid-roll. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just too fun. Uh, now, one of the reasons why these interviews are about an hour is because, you know, you get hungry. And so... Uh, you know, we're doing a little eating now. And after this, I'm going to be, you know, whatever lunch is, that's what I'm going to be having. But uh, it's great to have Jeb Becker back here for the second half of this interview. And I'm going to roll this all the way back to the beginning. It's something that you said when you talked about your story, which is that you found music, uh, you, you know, you're preternaturally lazy and all that stuff, but you found music to be easy. Uh, almost from the beginning, I guess. Now, why is I that? sat down with the, my, my parents had a piano in the house. I have no idea why my parents owned a piano. Neither of them played the piano. Maybe someone gave one to my mom and they had a wall in the living room they could put it on. Yeah. And I just sat down at the piano. I just started picking out songs. Wow. So, and that's when you discovered, wow, music's easy to me. There must've been something in you that, that, you know, was able to generate that. I guess. I mean, it was easy, but also I love music, you know? I mean, a lot of people love music, you know? Well, and, but that's Even a great people point. that can't perform love music, but I love music and I was drawn to musicians, you know, it was everything to me. It was everything to me. By the time I was a teenager, it was the only thing was bands and music. That was it. I mean, I completely understand that. So now, you know, I, I, I'm curious about this because I come from a musical family. My dad has been uh, performing since he was five years old and had, you know, uh, record deals and kind of semi-hit singles in the 60s and stuff like that. You know, uh, regional hits, one national, you know, uh, and, and and all of that. And so it was seemed like a foregone conclusion for me that, well, that's how I grew up and. And I would go into that. And then my son now is into that. And we're all kind of different, you know, avenues. But I can say that. And yet my brother, my only sibling, uh, is a forensic psychologist and professor. And although he loves music, it didn't, it wasn't the same. He took piano lessons and he sang. We, we'd go to my dad, you know, my dad would play five nights a week, you know, at a local clubs. We'd go and sing with him and everything. But that's not the route that he took. And mm-hmm. and it's like you say, there are people who love music, who don't play music, uh, who don't maybe have m- any musical ability whatsoever, or maybe just on a on a you know different level, and just didn't have the passion to pursue it. And yet, you from the beginning, it's it's it, it rings true with me because I talk about this all the time with my wife and my dad. Actually, uh, there's something about music that that I can, I can never do without it. And it's, I don't just express it through the music I create, but I express it through the mixes and playlists that I make or a song that I'm like, Hey, listen, you've got to listen to this song, Catherine, because I am just absolutely loving it. And the sharing of that song is, is really, it's almost as exciting to me as sharing my own music. Mm. And I feel like for you, you know, as as with many people who go on to create music, the the level of importance of music being a part of your world is just head over heels above what it might be for someone who's is a who's just a listener. I mean, it must be because I'm still doing it, you know, at you know age, you know, whatever. And like, there's no real monetary gain here, and yet I just plow ahead and keep schlepping my ass into the city to go to a rehearsal room at night, a stinky shithole of a fucking rehearsal room. You know? As usual. Yeah. You know, and just like, 
sit around, get back on the subway late at night. It's like, there's no glory. There's no money. And so I guess I still love it at this age. It still thrills me. You know, I told my partner, Oscar, I said, to this day, when I get into a rehearsal room and put on an electric guitar and plug it into an amp and I turn it on and it goes, bang, I'm still as excited as I was as like a teenage kid in like my garage or a friend's garage getting ready to play taking care of business for the millionth time. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's still your heart just beats just a little bit faster for a moment. And it, I still get that little that little kick after all this time. I I mean, that's the that's one of the greatest things, you know, to still have that feeling. Uh, I uh, and I mean, that happens with me, whether it's playing or writing. And there was someone I I forget who it was. Some famous person was talking about what it feels like to finish a song and -hmm. and share it with the world. And and I think one of the things I admire most about you is is I think a really key point for a lot of musicians in the world, which is. There is a there is often a pretty stringent cost benefit analysis to continuing music. And I've known some pretty damn talented songwriters and singers, singer songwriters, whichever, you know, who uh, gave gave up the, the creation of music a long time ago. And that feels so. It's understandable from a practical standpoint, from a standpoint of, well, you, you know, life is moving on and you're not getting the return you thought you would, et cetera, et cetera. But from from an existential standpoint, I can't relate to that at all because I've I mean, I've I can't even number the amount of albums I've put out or been a part of or ever at this point in songs, you know, forget it. And I'll get trickles of money in every year from some, you know, something royalties or mm-hmm. streaming or something. But honestly, it's, it's, it's never been to the level of being able to make a living solely on, on music. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there is not one part of me that says, well, that didn't work. I'm going to get and give it up. And and part of that is evidence. Well, that, you know, at, at my age, I mean, honestly, 20, 25 years, even, you know, younger than me, there are people who were like, well, I gave it a try and that's it, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I have this real admiration, whether it's for uh, bands like, you know, you two or Green Day have been out there forever with the same members and they're, and they're not, they're not resting on their laurels. They're putting out new music mm, right. every couple of years or un, unknown or much lesser known, you know, artists who are still, you know, keeping to some schedule, whether it's every two or five or seven years or whatever is putting out albums because the, the passion is too great to stop regardless Mm -hmm. of what the return is. Well, I I do keep going, but when you say a cost benefit analysis for continuing, I can really relate to that because there are certainly times, and this might not be terribly romantic to say, but there are certainly times when I'm like, this is just like, 51% 51% worth it, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is just barely over that limit. It's like, if this was just slightly less, like, I would just go, I can't do this anymore. There are certainly times in which I feel it's like just barely rising up over that, that like equity of like it being worth it to continue. And yet, here I am, I am continuing. So, what can you say? I guess I, it, it, it hasn't stopped being worth it yet. I would think, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I mean, it seems like a lot of the motivation of that has to come from, you know, the inside where there's this need to create and keeps expressing yourself in that way. But is there any 
any external factor that also kind of get makes that 51%, say 60% or something that really kind of makes it a little bit, uh, you know, more justified that you continue? Um, listen, having the right group of people to work with is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And if, yeah. and if you don't have the right group of people or if there's an element that's not quite making life easy for you, then it can be less worth it. And, you know, listen, no matter what field you're in, dealing with other people can be difficult. Yeah. And, uh, you know, creative people can be difficult. And so, you know, that part of it can be a drag. And that part of it can lead to some nights where you're just like, "Ah, what am I going to do? This is, this is, you know, so that, so when you say what makes it better, uh, it's having the right group of people to work with, you know, that's, that's really good. And I think now in Joy Buzzer, we, we do, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, KG Noble, uh, is a, a, a rhythm guitarist and, uh, plays occasional leads as well. And she'll be coming back from California soon. You'll have a chance to rehearse with her. We've also got Mark Bronner on drums and Kevin Lydon singing lead vocals. He was also lead vocalist in the Lord Calvert's. And now we've got Nick on bass and backing vocals, and uh, I'm on guitar and backing vocals as well. So the whole group should be together in a few weeks, and it's going to be great because it's a great group and a very talented group. So come out and see Joy Buzzer when we start advertising our shows in the spring. Oh, yeah, in the spring, anywhere in the New York area, definitely come out. I haven't met KG yet, but but having met Kevin and Mark, I'm like if KG's as the you know cool as they are and as good at what what they do, I'll be even more excited when we're all together. Yeah, yeah she's a real veteran of the New York rock scene. She's been in bands for here in New York for twenty or twenty five years. So uh, wow, she, she's terrific. Excellent. Can I also mention that I'm teaching now? Absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. Um, I live in uh, Cobble Hill. Hi, Brooklynites. <laughs> uh, and I've got uh, quite a nice group of uh, students that I teach uh, guitar, piano, bass, songwriting. Uh, I've taught Pro Tools. I teach all ages. Um, so if you're looking for someone to teach, one of those, uh, if you have a student, a kid, or someone that wants to learn, please, you can reach out to me on Facebook, or I could plug a website that I have, which is BeckerSongs.com. BeckerSongs.com is uh, my teaching website. So just going to throw that out there in case anyone tuned in is thinking, hey, I'd like to learn how to play guitar. My kid wants to play piano. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I love that. Uh, I and I will be putting uh, links uh, for both audio and video versions of this, uh, including that link there. So anyone who wants, you know, like to, you know, who needs a teacher in the Brooklyn area or wants to know more about Jed in any way, and we'll repeat them again towards the end of uh, this segment. But it, it'll be it'll be nice and easy for you to find Jed, however you want yeah. to find him. Yeah, and, and if I just just to. Complete the plug just to make it clear. In my capacity working on the Dora show, I worked with hundreds of children, uh, talented children, uh, kids coming in to sing songs and kids coming in. I was also vo- vocal director. I directed kids doing it. So I've got 
experience working with hundreds and hundreds of kids in that capacity and now dozens of kids as a private teacher. So consider uh, reaching out to me. Yeah. So the guy you replaced in Anthony's band, Rich, is also a full-time teacher. Uh And when the pandemic hit, a lot of his uh, kids transitioned to uh, online. And even though he does in person to a degree at, at this point now, the majority of his students are online. Do you do any online? I do. I do. I have, I have a few students that I do remotely. Yep. It's doable. It's not preferable, but it's certainly doable. And I have experience doing it and it works great. So keep that in mind because, uh, and I'm really talking more to Jed than, you know, than, than you out there because you should know this because you're you. A lot of my audience, uh, I, I have uh, some fans uh, across the ocean. I have fans all over the, you know, country. Uh, so you don't have to be a, a Brooklyn local. If you, uh, that's uh, true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And uh, I, I can do multiple time zones. Yes, exactly. Preferably not 3 a.m. Eastern time, but otherwise I think, you know, there's a lot of option there. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that's great. And, and so the other thing, of course, we, we talked about, uh, you know, you as a composer and, and Dora and Diego, we're talking about you as a teacher and I, and some of my uh, audience knows that I uh, used to be a teacher way yes. back when I still yeah, lived in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it took me about 10 years to realize it wasn't for me, but it was, it was exciting, you know, having some of the great students that I had and just see them develop. Uh, is there it, it, now every musician's answer is different for this. And I kind of like all the answers because of how different they are. Why? Did you become a teacher? How long have you been teaching? Why did you become a teacher? Um, I moved from Windsor Terrace to this neighborhood, Cobble Hill. And um, I just uh, found myself less busy with my sound editing and my composing work than I wanted to be. And I love working with kids. I love um, teaching. I, I love it. And so when, when, when we moved to this neighborhood, the pandemic hit right when we moved here and so my plan to move here and start teaching immediately was delayed by a couple of years. But after the pandemic lifted, started getting my name out there and, and students started coming in. I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy teaching quite a lot. That's great. And and just to refresh every, my memory and everyone else's, can you tell me again what things you teach? Piano, guitar uh, are my main ones. I certainly could teach bass. I can even teach ukulele. I'm a pretty good ukulele player. Um, ah. I can teach songwriting as well. And uh, I'm an excellent Pro Tools engineer, and I have taught others Pro Tools as well. And so that's pretty much my bag of tricks. That's a real variety. Yeah, that's yeah. that's great. I I I think... There's something there for everybody, especially if you're a music creator. I bumped, I bumped into a few people online who, you know, might use, I don't know, GarageBand or whatever it is now. And, and uh, that's as far as they can go. But to be able to create your own music at home on something like Pro, Tool, Pro mm-hmm. Tools is a real yes. gift, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've taught people garage band as well. Sometimes yeah. people need a little help getting around that too. Listen, that's true. And listen, they're all valid. I mean, I used to way back, I used logic and then for the longest time now I've been using Ableton and, uh, yeah. you know, you find your way around any, uh, doll digital audio workstation. Right. And, uh, 
and uh, find the one that's a good fit for you. And you, you know, depending on what you're doing with it, it's, it's doesn't take that long to leap from one to the other. If you Mm -hmm. can figure out the interface, you know? Yes. I mean, years ago, uh, Pro Pro Tools was strictly audio related and the MIDI was an afterthought. So it took them a number of years to catch up to like digital performer is what I was at the time uh, writing music on. Uh, But, you know, years ago, Pro Tools caught up and I, I do very well composing in Pro Tools. I'm very happy there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So the other thing I uh, wanted to talk about, which I think is, uh, I guess, the most... uh, temporarily relevant is that you were telling us before we started the second half, other than uh, a little lunch, we were talking a little bit about the new album, pleased to meet you. Yes. And I would love to hear more about that. Um, I mean, not just because I'm, I'm part of it now, but you yeah. know, uh, it's coming out soon and I will be featuring uh, for those of you out there, uh, the single that joy was released last year, Judy, Judy, Judy at the end of this episode so please after we say our goodbyes uh stick around you know how i do it usually about a second after i say i'll talk to you next week the song starts and uh, i've heard it before and it's awesome it's one of a couple of singles that were released last year so please stick around for that and hopefully it'll wet your whistle yeah it's it's, uh, power pop goodness you know loud guitars big hooks uh it's a really fun tune Judy, Judy, Judy. That was the song that uh, Stephen chose to be one of the coolest songs in the world on the Underground Garage last year. So, yeah, check that song out. Uh, regarding. Um, well, before you get there, in, in fact, because you mentioned this and I just find it so fun, funny and fun. Uh, let's talk about two towns in New Jersey. And uh, you mentioned how that kind of came about with that song being chosen. Um, I'm good friends with a uh, DJ on the Underground Garage and a very talented musician herself named Palmyra Del Ran. She's great. Check her out. Love her. Uh, I've done a bunch of shows with her. And uh, she played the show. She played that song, Judy, before we were signed on her show uh, on the Underground Garage. And little Steven heard it and he loved it. And he decided to release it on Wicked Cool, his label. And he made it cool the song in the world this week. And then he asked me to create an album, which I've done with my production partner, Oscar Buck. I wrote all the songs. Oscar and I produced it. Uh, Kevin Lydon is the lead singer on the album. Mark Browder plays drums. Uh, Michael Lynch, who has left the band before we had the bassist here, uh, Nick on it, is playing bass and singing. KG Noble is playing guitar and singing. I'm playing guitars, keyboards, backing vocals whatever else needs to be filled in. And I produced it with Osgold, 
recorded it in a number of studios. It's coming out this year. I can't wait to hear it. It is a power pop album. And uh, I think it's uh, a great collection of songs. And I, I hope you do too. Yeah. And I think, I think you will. And uh, just to give people a sense, and I'm, I'm going to mention the band uh, Fountains of Wayne because I hear some similarities in there. And there may be people who know, if you don't know them, think of Stacy's mom. That's the one everybody mentions, you know, that comment comes from one of my, honestly, one of my favorite albums of any artist ever. It's probably in my top 10, but w- is there another band that you might liken uh, Joy Buzzer to? Mm, that's a hard question. Boy, I should have prepared for that question. Yeah, I never, I don't honestly, full disclosure, I never like questions like this. And <laughs> I think the only reason that I asked it is because the the more people I uh, bump into who are into power pop and the more research I do, I realize there are so many uh, artists I've never heard of before that power pop artists who you know, over the last, you know, full 50 years, really, who've fallen through the cracks. I did an episode recently on albums of the 1970s, and there was an album released in 79 by a group called 2020. Never heard of 2020. Them. Did they do? Oh, I'm going to get that wrong. They didn't do yellow pills, did they? I couldn't tell you. I listened to a couple of their tunes. Yeah. They broke up uh, like very, like early 80s, mid 80s, and then got back together in the mid 90s and put out a couple more albums. And there's a song of theirs I loved so much. I put it on my playlist for January. And uh, it's it's one of those uh, pursuits that I'm always you know kind of voracious about. Uh, mm-hmm. learning more about music of any kind. But when it's some music that I actually is, is central to me and the kind of styles I like and what I create, I'm even more fascinated. And I, I, I mentioned people like Fountains of Wayne. I mentioned people like Matthew Sweet was one of my favorites. Yeah, I uh, love Matthew Sweet. Know. But oh, there, yeah. are there other, I, let me make this question easier. Are there other power pop historically bands and artists that you love? Uh, well, I would think that a lot of people who are uh, fond of the same kind of music that I am fond of would mention Fountains of Wayne. And I would say for me personally, to you out there listening, if you have any takeaway from this interview and you took your time out to listen to this and you're not familiar with Fountains of Wayne or the only thing that you know is Stacy's mom, go out there and listen to Fountains of Wayne because they are a huge influence on me. And I still listen to them all the time. And I am um, humbled. I, the excellence of their songwriting, their lyrics. It's uh, Adam Schlesinger, a uh, terrific songwriter who sadly died of COVID in April 2020. And uh, Chris Collingwood were the two songwriters of that band. I think you'll find a lot of other people like me uh, name-checking XTC and Andy Partridge of XTC as a huge influence. Um, Squeeze. Uh, Squeeze. Huge influence. Love Squeeze, yeah. Did you have a chance to listen to that song, Shake Some Action by the Flamin' Groovy? No, not yet, no. Okay, so that's a song that we are covering in Joy Buzzer. And they're a 70s power pop band, and that was their only real breakthrough song. It's fantastic. I really hope that you enjoy that. Um, You know, a couple of other albums that I listened to that really knocked me out was uh, an album called Lapelco by a guy named Brendan Benson. Now, some people know Brendan Benson because he was in the Rockin' Tours with Jack White. Uh, that's the that's how I know him. Yeah, for sure. But he's a terrific solo artist. And uh, his album, La Palco, I think it's 12 or 14 songs. And 
every song is absolutely excellent. Oh. Uh, you know, Squeeze, you know, The Beatles. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, Bad Finger. I mean, I'm going back to the 70s now. You know, uh, XTC is an artist that stretched from the very end of the 70s through the 90s. Uh, yeah. Andy Partridge, Colin Moulding, songwriters, really super influential. Um, in terms of, I don't know how much you hear the influence in what my band does, but just in terms of respect as a songwriter, I mean, some people are going to turn the interview, <laughs> turn this thing right off. But I mean, Steely Dan, when it comes to songwriting talent, is just off the charts. And lyrically, uh, I can st- I still can listen to Steely Dan. When I want to sit down and play the piano and do something that interests me, I'll sit down and I'll just like read charts of Steely Dan songs because hmm. their stuff is just off the charts. Uh, but I don't think you're going to hear a lot of that in the music that uh, Joy Buzzer does. I think, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, can list a hundred influences that no one would hear in the music I do, but I think there's yeah. something about how it informs how you create, you know, yeah. even if you, you know, hear it, you know. I also, I'm really influenced by, uh, like, not like T-Rex, but other glam rock or glam adjacent bands of the very early 70s, like mm-hmm. The Sweet, oh, yeah. Fox on the Run, or Slade. Bands oh, like lady. that, uh, there, there is a bit of that influence of those kinds of early 70s glamish stuff that comes through Enjoy Buzzer Music also. I can hear that for sure. And <laughs> I don't know that music as well as others, but I know enough of it to kind of get a whiff of, oh, wow, you're going there, yeah. you know, and that's Slade is uh, is uh, someone I've known, uh, the band I've, I've known about for a long time. Yeah, but they, they really were- listen to much of them till recently. They didn't and, really have a lot of yeah. breakthrough stuff in the States, but in England, they had like 20 or 30 top 10 hits. I they found that out big. because, oh, sorry. Uh, I found that out because uh, Anthony's band, we do uh, Christmas shows every year. And one of them is for a British American Business Association. And he looked up, what are some well-known Christmas oh, songs got to in do. Britain? And here it is, yes. everybody. Da, da. I love that song. Merry Christmas, yep. everybody's having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a standard English Christmas tune, yeah. I, in fact, I so I host this uh, online show for elder care music, and uh, I'm a, I'm a you know, sometime host of it. And one of the artists I hosted for is from Britain show. She still lives there. That's where she, you know, performs from. And she did a Christmas set and included that song. And I talked to her about, this is the first year I actually ever heard that song. And now you're playing it. So it's the Lord Calvert's did that, did that. Oh, really? Yeah. Because it kind of falls into that. uh, um, Lord Calvert's was a garage rock band. So it was garage rock adjacent for sure. Uh, Yeah, it was, that was fun. We did that too. Wow. Yeah. And the end, you know, the end where he does that scream. Hey, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, Adam and I kind of, uh, you know, drew straws as to which one of us would get to do it in the <laughs> in the show we did. He and he got it. But yeah, that's oh God, I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I think that's something since we're on the subject. Power pop extends pretty far back. And I always, you know, I always talk about the Beatles as sort of proto power pop because they weren't called that, of course. And that that wasn't a term that was around at the time. But how can you not talk about, you know, uh, 
a power pop without talking about them as well, you know, and, yeah. and how, who they influenced. I mean, obviously bad finger, but so many others in the seventies and ecstasies off it, you know, and uh squeeze are often said to have been influenced by them, you know? Oh, sure. I mean, the, the Beatles obviously had the pop, they had the hooks, but they didn't have the power that we came in in the later sixties, the earlier seventies, when you put the, you know, the loud guitar sounds together with the big hooks, you know, that's when you're really getting what I, what I more define as power pop. A little harder guitar sound, right? Just crunchier and yeah, bigger. Yeah. And, and the, just to go back with Steely Dan. Oh, I thought of, um, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Like the raspberries, please go all the way. It's like, Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I mean, we're going back to the early seventies now, but like that's got big guitar hooks and talk about, a hook, a vocal hook. Yeah, crazy. In fact, that song has got like four hooks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. That's that's one of the hallmarks of power pop is usually more than one hook in a song. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's funny you mentioned Steely Dan because I was always sort of a casual, like even back in college in my day, they, they seem to be just big in college, regardless of the era, it's like people mm-hmm. discover certain things when they get to college. And this was even at, it was after, not after their time, but it was after their kind of their heyday. And I think one of the things that always amazed me about them is I heard a lot of music created in the seventies, right? Like con- concurrently with their big hits and, and everything that had a very similar sound and arrangement and all of that and complex chord structures. Yet they found a way to do that. And get it across to a huge audience. And I really do think that's a testament, not just to the musicianship, but to the songwriting. Incredible. I mean, no one, I mean, jazz might be a dirty word or, you know, a chord that maybe, maybe it's a seventh, but you're talking ninth chords, flat ninth chords, sharp ninth (laughs) chords, please. What are you doing? This is rock and roll, you know? And yet uh, here are these guys putting these really complex, I mean, no one else was coming close to that. But I, something else flashed into my mind as well. Talk about a band that is the opposite of Steely Dan, but a band that was uh, definitely always has been a favorite of mine. Talk about guys still doing it since the 80s. They might be giants, I think, are fantastic songwriters. And uh, I'm a big fan of theirs also. And yep. I'm very familiar with their catalog. Yeah. Well, same here. I think we talked about them in that car ride, and that's kind of why I wore this shirt. Because that's ah, like, oh yes, look at that. Yeah, the day like, where is it? Yeah. yeah. Well, so those of you listening, this is the boring part of the yes. episode because you can't see the stunning visual here of me pulling my shirt up. But yeah, they you know, and and that's what I what I love about why I say music is not a genre is if you start making these connections between hardcore power pop. And then power pop adjacent or bands who do power pop, but they do other things as well. Or like I like to say, Wreck is electro power pop. And I, I put like Duran Duran and, and it's this uh, British band, the Wombats in that category. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, you, you start to go a little further afield to the point where you're almost not even in power pop anymore. And yet there's a connection there. And mm-hmm. I think that that they might be giants. Anybody who knows their career they did so much music of so many different kinds and power pop was just one facet of that. You, I mean, you huge fan of theirs. And I mean, you know, birdhouse in your soul might not be power pop. Wait, I think birdhouse in your soul is power pop. I do. Yeah, I like do maybe too. don't let start isn't, but if you go into their catalog, they do stuff. I mean, 
listen, you start breaking it down. I think you've got to have guitars and it not be really keyboard driven or synth drum driven. But again, you're really breaking it down. But at the beginning of their career, they really had those. And then they started bringing in a live band. So like as right. they wrote so many great songs that were like, I could name songs from later in their career that people probably don't know. A song like Experimental Film. Or other songs like that that are just yeah. straight power pop, you know, because yep. they've got the guitars, they've got the hooks and all that stuff. I I I can go on and on about They Might Be Giants. I'm a huge fan of theirs. And yeah, they're I, still yeah. doing it, you know, still out there, still playing. Yep, fantastic. I, I think yeah. they're national treasures. I, do. I completely agree. Completely. I, 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 I do. Saw them. In the 80s and 90s, I saw them in concert quite often, and I still follow their new music. And I was fortunate enough... Uh, my band in the late nineties was mostly just guns for hire. And the, uh, I want to say it was the guitarist that I hired went on to, now he's still the guitarist, uh, for they might be giants like the Dan second. Miller. Yeah. Dan Miller. Exactly. Yeah, He's been That's their him. guitarist for maybe close to 20 years. Yes. And, and I had worked with him just prior to that. So that was, uh, and then I, and then I saw the name on their next album, whatever came out. I was like, Oh my God, mm -hmm. that's that guy. Yeah. So it was, you know, six degrees of separation, but we're, you know, we're coming to the end of this uh, episode. And uh, of course, thank you for being with me. Thank this you. Awesome. Conversation. It was really fun. I hope I was mildly entertaining. Uh, at least mildly entertaining. Okay, yes. very good. <laughs> okay, is there uh, so things you want to leave people with? Can you mention your websites again and, and anything else you'd like them to, uh, to joybuzzerband.com? Great, joybuzzerband.com. Uh, my teaching website is beckersongs.com. I also have a, a more general website where you can hear a lot of my Dora music and a lot of my other stuff that I've written is just, just jedbecker.com. Excellent, nice and, and easy. Um, Hopefully, you know, I'm sure that when I start putting together shows for this iteration of Joy Buzzer, Nick will start putting them up on his Facebook page and his other social media. And it would be great if people could come out and see the band. If you like big guitars and big hooks and great singing and bass playing, uh, come on out and see us uh, when we start performing. Yes, I'll be putting it on uh, the social and also on nickdematteo.com slash uh, live. And uh, since we're just about out of time here, again, thank you, Jed, for all the time you spent here. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks to you, as always, for watching and listening. Please click the links and stick around in the next few seconds. You're going to hear Judy, Judy, Judy. Thanks for spending this time with me. Uh, as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. And I will talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.